Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn once again to Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, and that's page 44 in the Blue Bible. Genesis 50, and we'll open our reading at verse 15. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died. Being 110 years old, they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, we've made it to the end of this book of beginnings. We're here in Genesis 50 with the death of Joseph. But as this passage we're looking at opens in verse 15, Joseph's still alive and well, but his father uh, had died and had just been buried. And uh, that is what gives rise to uh, these events. Joseph's brothers began to be fearful. Their old fears of Joseph crept back into their minds. You remember when they 
first realized that it was Joseph who stood before him when he revealed himself to them. They were quite terrified. And those fears came back. Fear that he would want to get revenge against them for what they'd done to him so long ago. They were very terrible to him. And now he held so much power over them. But their fears were totally unfounded. They had already been reconciled with Joseph in such a dramatic way. Joseph had come to have a a, a very God-centered view of all those past events, all those terrible things that his brothers did to him, even. He was trusting in God's sovereignty and God's providence that worked all those things out just the way they did happen. You remember he said to his brothers, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. That's what he told them. And you may remember also he kissed them and he he wept all over them. It was a beautiful scene, a beautiful reconciliation. It was very, very clear um, that he had forgiven them and was so happy to be reconciled with them. But then time went on. And for the next uh, 17 years, Joseph took care of these men and their families. He cared for them. He was kind to them. They prospered. They were protected in such hard times and deadly times. And it was all because of Joseph that they were so well cared for and preserved. And yet here again, all these years later, fear rushes in and grips them. Fear can be a very powerful thing, can't it? Sometimes we can be absolutely overwhelmed with fear. Even when we have nothing to fear. Even when it's completely irrational for us to fear. And that's exactly what happened here. These brothers were struck with fear again that Joseph had just been biding his time all those years. He'd just been playing nice, putting on a fake facade of um, caring for them. But now that their father, Jacob, was dead, surely Joseph would come after them and seek his revenge. They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we've done to him. So they sent this message to him. The message said, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of your servants. Now, I suppose this message from Jacob could have been real. He could have said this to all the other brothers in private. 
But he also could have easily said these things and delivered this message before he died, when they were all gathered together around him. Many commentators think the brothers just made this up to try to manipulate Jacob into not hurting them. Their fear, terrible fear, led them to to do this. And if they went to that length, that great length, to to write uh, write up a fake message from their dead father, can you imagine? Just imagine how afraid they must have been. One thing is for sure, though, these brothers had never really fully believed that Joseph had forgiven them. They must have spent all those years uh, feeling a, a nagging conscience, feeling guilty still for what they'd done, and worrying. Maybe it was in the back of their minds, just worrying that the sword would one day fall, that Joseph would have his revenge. How sad that is. Because it was completely false. And yet they lived in those fears. The fact is, these men were fully forgiven, completely forgiven for all their sin against Joseph. They had been reconciled to the man. He had put their sins away. He had just blotted them out. But they didn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. They had no assurance that they were in good standing with their brother. They still lived in this dread and doubt. In a sense, we can understand that they would still be thinking of this and remembering their their sins. These men had been absolutely rotten monsters to Joseph. Terrible. And even long before they sold him as a slave, Uh, to Egypt. Remember, they hated his guts, and they didn't even hide that. They let him know it. And the guilt that they still felt over their sins must have weighed on them, because they still feel like punishment is coming. But the irony of it is that none of that was necessary. They were already completely made right with Joseph. They were under his grace and favor, but they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. That's so sad. And when Joseph heard this from their mouths, he heard these words, and he became aware of how fearful they were. It made him terribly sad. In verse 17, we read, when their message came to him, he wept. Then they came and threw themselves down before him and said, we are your servants. Such a sad picture, these fearful men here. I think you know where I'm going with this. These men here are much like Christians who don't fully believe that we're forgiven and accepted by God. 
accepted as righteous in his sight through Jesus dying for us. It's like we can believe that truth of the scriptures in our heads, but not really get it in our hearts. We believe it intellectually, maybe, but we haven't really settled into it and begun to rest in that grace of God to us. We don't really believe and enjoy the fact that we are fully reconciled to God by his grace alone. We think that's still not settled. We think we still have to do something to deserve this. We may even still think um, we ought to be punished. We think maybe we need to improve ourselves, clean up our act before God will really accept us. And this often happens with us as believers. We think God is hard-hearted toward us. We think he's still ready to punish us for our sins. You know, that is really unbelief. And God is grieved if we go on living that way and if we go on thinking that way about him. That is to deny the gospel. That is to deny the power of Christ's death to put away our sins. That is to deny God's own character and his promise to forgive us. That's to deny his love and his word. It's to call God a liar. John Owen wrote, the greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay upon God the Father, the greatest unkindness that you can do to him is to not believe that he loves you. And yet we do this so often. We may know the, the definition of the word grace. We may understand uh, the atonement but do we really believe that it's for us do we really rejoice in God's grace as ours do we really rejoice that he loves us is that the joy of your life that the Lord loves you and there's nothing between you and him any longer because of what Jesus has done for you. We've been reconciled to friendship and fellowship with God. Close communion with God is ours now because of what Jesus has done. You must believe that. You must believe that God is faithful and just to forgive you all your sins. You must believe that it's for you. His forgiveness is, is not just out there for others, but it's for you. Do you believe that? Do you give thanks to him for that? I think we cross that line when we go from asking 
for God's forgiveness and grace to thanking him for it and praising him for it and worshiping him for it, knowing that he's given it to us. But it has to be personal for you. God wants you to have that full confidence before him that banishes fear. No confidence in yourself, but full confidence in him and his grace that he's lavished on you through Jesus' blood and righteousness. This is something we struggle with in life, and I think it goes on all through our lives as Christians. The enemy is always accusing us, tempting us to doubt God's grace, tempting us to believe that God is always displeased with us. That is not true if you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ and you trust in him, then you are united to him. You are united to the one who is perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're far from perfect. As long as we live in this life, we'll be sinful far from perfect, but you belong to the one who is perfect. God sees you now in Christ's perfection. You have his perfect record now. It is truly just as if you'd never sinned as far as God is concerned if you belong to Christ. He's perfectly pleased with you because of his perfect son. But you must believe this. You must rest in this truth. Rest all your weight on it. All your sins. Put all your confidence in him. Consciously believe and rest in God's amazing grace to you in Christ. And know that his love is yours. And as you do this, you'll you'll come to know and enjoy more. God's love for you. And then you'll grow in love for him. And that's the only way that works. The only way you get love for God and grow in your love for him is as you continue to behold his love for you and believe in it. We say that in what Jesus said. Those who are forgiven much, love much. So we, we need to know that we have the full forgiveness of God for all our sins. And his love will be made known to us through that and we'll grow in love for him. We won't love him at all unless we really believe that we have his forgiveness. Well, back to Joseph. We, we see he just he couldn't contain himself. He couldn't hold back his, his tears. It, and that's because it saddened him so much to realize that All these years, apparently, his brothers had doubted his forgiveness and his love for them. They had not trusted him. They'd been afraid of him. And here they were still terrified of him. As broke his heart. What a picture that is of how it breaks God's heart if we do not trust in his forgiveness. So he spoke graciously to them again. 
And he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Because Joseph was in a very high place. He was in a very powerful position over them, and he could have um, stood in judgment of them and, and had his revenge. But he had no desire whatsoever for that. No interest at all. And he said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. There was nothing to fear. If he ever had desired vengeance for them, he had given it to the Lord. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And we struggle with that at times when we're wronged. And probably Joseph struggled with it uh, quite a bit as well. We often want to do the repaying ourselves, especially when there's a terrible wrong done against us, when there's harm done to us by someone. But we should never seek to repay evil ourselves. We should seek to do good to all. Like Paul says in Romans 12, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And he closes by saying, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When Joseph said these beautiful, memorable words that say so much about God and his providence and Joseph's trust in God, Joseph trusted that God's providence was perfect in his life all along. He told his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many lives. This is the mis mysterious providence of God. And it is a mystery that we need to grapple with as Christians. But through the evil that men do, as Christians, we can be confident that God is doing good. Even through the worst things that may happen to us. And Joseph has come to that point. He would have never probably thought this in the moment of being dragged off to Egypt, being thrown in that pit by his brothers, when he was being wronged, and he was so devastated by it. And when people sin against us, we may not feel this way in the moment either. We don't immediately think about the good that's going to come about through those wrongs. But we need to know by faith that this is what our God does. He is present with us in the midst of our pain and trials. And he's behind the scenes ruling over it all, all our circumstances, even the very worst things that could possibly happen to us. That's what Joseph reminds his brothers of here. He comforts them. He says, do not fear. Yes, you did evil to me. He doesn't deny their responsibility, the wrong they did. You did evil to me. You meant it for evil. 
But I know that God meant it for good. God was working out his good plan all along. And he even used your wicked sin for a far greater purpose. God saved Israel through that. And so many more. Really, the whole world of the ancient Near East was preserved through Joseph and God using him in that famine. We need to be very encouraged by this for our own lives, too. Maybe you have had some terrible evil done to you. Or maybe you will in the future. Or maybe it'll be uh, some lesser wrong done against you, but people will sin against you. And they will hurt you. There's no way to avoid that in this life. Maybe you'll face persecution for your faith. Maybe you'll just be betrayed by someone close to you. Who knows what it may be? We can think more broadly of this, too, and just in terms of the, the, the kinds of trials, the painful difficulties that we suffer in this life. But we can be encouraged in all these things because these things are not out of God's control. The losses that we suffer, the crosses we have to bear in this life, God's purposes in all these things are good. Good for you, believer. Remember what God said to um, Israel through Jeremiah when the people were about to go into exile. That was going to be a hard thing. That was going to be a painful, difficult thing. It was going to involve a lot of suffering. Many were going to die. And they were going to be uprooted from the land and carried off to a foreign place. What a fearful, dreadful time that must have been. And yet God said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. How kind God was to give that good encouragement to his people in that suffering that they were already facing and that they would face in the future. He had good plans. And he has good plans for his people in every age. Plans that he's bringing to pass. Despite the fact that it may look dark and horrible and out of control in our circumstances, we can know that they're not out of his control. He says, I'm in control of all this, and I'm doing you good through it, my child. Even if he disciplines us, it's always with that good purpose in mind. Always good, always redemptive. If he corrects us, it's loving correction for our eternal good and for the good of others even. Remember these things, people. Be encouraged. You have a future and a hope, and you have a God who is always doing you good. As Paul says, we know that for those who love God, all things, all things 
work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's very comforting. Believe it. This is the picture of God that we really need to have burned into our hearts and into our minds, and we need to believe that this is our God. He's in control of all our uh, lives, the everyday events of our lives and of the whole world, and he uses even the very worst of things for his glory and for the good of his people. And Paul says there in Romans 8, we know this. We know. And you're included in that we, believer. You should know this. That God works all things together for your good. Know it. Believe it. Rest in it. Enjoy the truth of God's absolute and perfect providence in your life. Rest yourself in the hands of your wonderful, loving, sovereign God who loves you and gave his son for you. I will close briefly here with this note about Joseph's final years and his death. He remained in Egypt, lived to be 110 years old, and his years were blessed. He lived long enough to enjoy his grandchildren. But it's his final words that we really need to pay attention to here. He died, and, uh, you know, this was Joseph. Joseph was the hero of Egypt. He was the, the, the uh, one who was second only to Pharaoh. And I wonder if in many people's eyes he might have been even above Pharaoh because he was responsible for uh, that wonderful work that saved the people of Egypt. So surely there was a great celebration of his life. Surely there was a great state-sponsored funeral that the Egyptians put on for him. Pharaoh probably spared no expense to uh, honor Joseph, but we don't hear a word about that here. God's word doesn't tell us about that, doesn't focus on that at all. It only tells us what's really important. It tells us what really matters. It tells us that Joseph died in faith. He died believing in the promise of his God, like his fathers before him. He said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up. There's his faith. God will bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to give to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he made the sons of Israel swear that they would take his bones up out of Egypt when that time came. And he was content to wait for that. He didn't do like his father did and insist that they take his body back to Canaan. He was happy to wait for the exodus. And that was perhaps more of an act of faith because he knows it's going to happen. 
Didn't care if he got there immediately, but like Jacob, he was determined that he would get there. His bones would get there. This is another example of God's people staking a claim to God's promises by faith, just like his father did, just like Abraham and Isaac did. He believed that God's word was true. He believed God's word would not fail. And therefore, it is to be believed. And Joseph did believe. He believed those promises with all his heart. He said, don't leave my bones here when y'all go out and go, go up to that land of Canaan. And of course, God's promises did come true. It all came true. Some 30 generations later, imagine that. Pharaoh finally let the people of Israel go. And they did. They took Joseph's bones with them in keeping their word. God had brought so much good out of evil through the life of this man, Joseph. But this theme of all things for good really comes to its ultimate expression, its ultimate fulfillment, not in the life of Joseph, but in the life and the sufferings and the death of our Lord Jesus. He suffered infinitely more than Joseph or any man or all the sufferings of all men together. Wicked men and Satan did their worst to Jesus Christ. Nothing in all human history compares to the evils that came upon him, including the evil of our sin, the guilt of all our sin laid upon him. But God meant it for good, for incomprehensible good, for your good, believer, for the good of all his people to bring about the salvation of each and every one who trusts in him. What a great God we have who's wrought these great things for us and for our salvation. Let's trust in him with all our hearts. Trust in the Savior. Let's pray. Father, give us that faith, living faith in your Son. Help us to always count you as altogether faithful. We thank you so much that the gospel shows us that you are completely faithful to your promises and you are full of love and compassion toward us. We pray that you'd enable us to keep living by faith in you all our days, whether we face the troubles and evils of this life or, or what's sometimes worse, and those are t the times of ease that we go through that may even tempt us to forget you. Lord, help us. We need you to give strength and to strengthen our faith in particular. Keep us trusting in you. Keep us trusting that you are good. 
And we thank you for all of the Lord Jesus' sufferings and death so that we could have these good things united to him. And so now by faith we ask all these things and we look to you for his sure coming again. And we will enjoy the fullness of those good things for all eternity. Even above all, eternal communion with you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.